As we honor Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., one of the most influential black leaders in American history, we celebrate the life of a Baptist minister, scholar, civil rights activist, and Nobel Peace Prize winner. Inspired by his Christian beliefs and the nonviolent activism of Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. King remained deeply committed to achieving social justice through nonviolence. The visionary played a pivotal role in the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. In 1968, on April 4th, after years of peaceful demonstrations, marches, sit-ins, wait-ins, and stints in jail, Dr. King was assassinated while standing on the balcony of his hotel room at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. Many describe the event as the shot heard around the world. A life was severed as a legacy was born. While Dr. King's impact on race relations in the United States is well documented, little is known about the integral role St. Augustine played in the civil rights movement. In 1963, as America remained embedded in the Cold War while facing the onset of the Vietnam War, Lincolnville became a target for the Ku Klux Klan following a peaceful sit-in by black students at the King Street Woolworth lunch counter. The event ignited the St. Augustine movement. Led by Dr. Haling, known as the father of the St. Augustine movement, blacks peacefully protested as the KKK viciously attacked. Violence consumed the city. Homes were destroyed by fire bombings and gunfire. At the time, Dr. King was urging Congress to pass the Civil Rights Act. The law would not only prohibit discrimination based on race, religion, sex, or natural origin, it would ban segregation in public places. Blacks would no longer be required to remain in areas designated for blacks only. As the bill languished in a Senate filibuster, Dr. King summoned the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to descend with him on St. Augustine to publicly showcase the city's rabid segregation policies. As St. Augustine's drama unfolded center stage, the U.S. Senate, no longer able to feign ignorance, ended its 83-day filibuster and signed the Civil Rights Act into law two weeks later. While in St. Augustine, Dr. King was sheltered in Lincolnville safe houses. 81 Bridge Street, the home of John and Cora Tyson, not only served as a safe house, it became Dr. King's headquarters. Cora Tyson, now 98, still lives in that home, a home she shared with her husband and son, a home filled with memories of front porch conversations with Dr. King and his entourage of leaders as they sipped ginger ale laced iced tea. What I did during that time was something that needed to be done. And God had opened my heart up in my home, and I had what it took to help with the movement not knowing that anything like this would come later on. The movement broke out, and some of the students from Florida Nama sit in at Woodway, and that started the movement. Then it got a little rough. It kept getting more and more. I sit here and watch it on TV. I say, oh, nothing like that will never happen in St. Augustine. That just won't happen. Mrs. Tyson, Lincolnville, and St. Augustine would soon, however, never be the same again. This was the bloodiest town of the movement. They were shooting in people's houses, and I think a, a couple of guys got shot. Dr. Halen and some men got all beat up and merciful. It was, it was, it was, it was something. It just got so rough and everything. And Dr. King, Dr. Halen got him come down. But he didn't come at first. He sent Jose Williams. He came down. I met him. Then Annie Young came. That's when it really began to get really rough. 
By the time Dr. King arrived, he was a well-known public figure. Mass meetings were held in venues that could accommodate large crowds. Mrs. Tyson never imagined she would meet the legendary activist, but history had other plans. Everybody was seeing Dr. King. Dr. King. Oh, oh, Dr. King. Dr. King. I said, well, everybody's seen this Dr. King. I want to see this Dr. King y'all talking about. <laughs> so he had been here, I think, about the second time. This is about his third time back. He'd come and go. So when he came this time, it was a march. It was marching on St. Augustine. And it's, he sent some children down there and told me, tell Miss Tyson to come here. So I came up the street. I said, what, what you want with me now? He said, I want you to meet somebody. I said, I don't want to meet nobody. Standing within earshot, Dr. King extended his hand. He said, Miss Tyson, I'm Dr. King. I said, <laughs> I said, oh, my God. I said, I'm sorry. He said, no. He said, I love it. I love it. I love it. He said, where you live? I told him, I said, I he said, can I go in your house? I said, sure, come on. He came in. He sat over there in the chair. And he looked at him. He said, boys, he said, this is going to be my headquarters. And he stayed here. And he and I would sit on the steps on the front porch. And the Klansmen would ride by. The two became friends. There were certain conversations that he had. He never just talked uh, the civil rights movement all the time. We would sit here and we'd be laughing and talking about other things. Not He just didn't dwell on that. She describes Dr. King as a quiet man. When he did the march in Washington, I said, mm-mm, that ain't the king I know. His voice just changed. It wasn't the voice that I knew. And he would be sitting in a chair like this, and and um, reporters would be sitting on the floor. And he would be talking. I could be in my kitchen, and I didn't know what he was saying. As he said, he was here on a mission, and he wasn't here for a show. He was here to strengthen the foundation. He was here to try to help the people and show them the right way of doing the demonstration. You take tolerance. You can take tolerance. Jesus took tolerance when he was hung on the cross. As events unfolded and the violence escalated, state troopers guarded the Tyson home. It wasn't to the point that I was afraid to go anywhere. I, I continued to do I worked. I worked for the school boy. And I'd get up in the morning and go to work and come back. And they'd have meetings and go to their meetings. And they wouldn't come in until at night. I'd come home, get me a shower, get in the bed, get me a nap, and get up and come up. And I would cook. And they would sit in there and eat. One quiet Sunday, the Klansmen marched fully robed down Granada Street. One Sunday afternoon, it was so quiet. The Klans was everywhere. It was everywhere. People were just everywhere. They marched right down here at Granada Street and came. That's where they started the march. The Klans was all the way back to the bridge, all the way down King Street. State troopers was everywhere. This was supposed to have been blocked off all the way down from Sebastian River by uh, Shell, from there all the way across. You couldn't come in 
and you couldn't go out. So they say. Okay? All right. He was sitting in his chair right over there, and I was on the porch. And I, I happened to look up, and there was five black limousines coming down Bridge Street. I looked, they came with black skeleton flags on them. And they didn't make a noise, just kind of soap, soap. He looked up. He said, Sister Tyson? I said, yes. So he said, what's that? I said, I don't know. Limousine. I said, you can't see in there because the windows was painted. You couldn't see in the car. It went all the way down Oneida Street. And what we understand from the from the heads, they got out those cars. They had machine guns. At that time, Washington Street had stoves all the way down, buildings all the way down. And we was here, I bet you it wasn't no more than about 30 minutes before Jose hit the back door coming in. He said, Doc, we got problems. Never forget him. He sat there and he looked at him. He dropped his head. He looked up at him. He said, what's the problem? He said, we don't know where they come from. We don't know who they are. He said, but they are here with machine guns, and they're all in black. He said, and if they come in here, he said, it's going to be a massacre. He sat down. The Grand Dragon was warned to stay out as the state troopers stepped in. He said, don't come in here. But the dragon was going to come in anyway. So the state trooper, who was head, was the head of the other. They say he looked at him, he said, we aren't going in there with you. We aren't going in there. He said, but I want you to turn around and look what's behind you. He said, you see those babies in their mother's arms? He said, their blood would be on your shoulder, not on ours. He said, because if you go in there, that's what's going to happen. He said, that's what's going to happen. He said, man, break the line, let him through. And that's what saved them. Those people came in here by day. They left out of here by night. They don't know when they left. They don't know who they were. They told us they didn't know who they were or where they came from. Just came just like it never happened. Undaunted by the pressures surrounding his vocation, Dr. King remained steadfast and devoted to the purpose of his life's work. I think that was a calling for him because he he never bragged about it or complained about it. With all the, the violence in uh, St. Augustine, he never got riled up. Mrs. Tyson describes the civil rights leader as a man of integrity. He was just a man that you could trust. If he said something to you, you could believe in it. He wasn't the man that jumped the fence. If he said something, he stuck to it. I wouldn't take anything for meeting Joe. Because now, 
Sometimes I'll be sitting here by myself and I'll be thinking about back then and all. And I have to smile to myself because you just don't forget the good things. She, however, became disheartened, particularly with the people of St. Augustine. The movement did something to me because I didn't know that the people in St. Augustine hated black people like that. We all got along with, even in here, we living white and blacks all up and down this street, black and white. But Dr. King never faltered. Sister Tyson, he said, I may die with my shoes on. He said, God sent me here on a mission. He said, I would love to see my four children go to school, graduate. He said, but I don't think I will. He said, so be it. I'm on the mission for the Lord. And when he left that time, that was the last time I saw him. Mrs. Tyson understood the importance of Dr. King's impact on civil rights and spirituality. He stood for integrity, manners, do unto others as you have others do unto you. And don't forget the Lord. It was a mission. It was more a spiritual thing. It was always Christian. It was never anything other than spiritual. And I think that had a lot to do with the movement. Mrs. Tyson sadly remembers the devastating news of Dr. King's assassination. I was at school when he got shot. And I got home about 12. My husband came in. He said, get you a beer. I said, what? He said, Dr. King. What happened? He said he got shot. I said, is he dead or alive? He said he died. I didn't cry. I didn't moan or nothing. I just, I just couldn't grasp it. And then I prayed about it. And I thought about our conversation. They could have killed both of us right there if it was supposed to be. So we'd sit right down my steps. They slow up and drive along and look at us. Going. We knew it was clean, but it wasn't happening in St. Augustine. Despite the fact that Mrs. Tyson is named twice an hour by the trolley trains explaining the Freedom Trail marker showcased on her front lawn, the spirited cook shies away from talking about her friend. I don't like to talk about it because of friends that's gone, friends that was in it. A lot of things that happened that shouldn't have happened, but it happened with nothing you could do about it. When asked what Dr. King would say to us both, today in this room, Mrs. Tyson didn't hesitate. He would correct us if we were wrong, and he would join in with us, and he'd always have something to say that would strengthen us. He was that tight. While the sadness of an era gone by will never leave, Mrs. Tyson has no regrets for the role she played in the St. Augustine movement with Dr. King. I did it with a smile, and I'm proud I was able to do it. I think I did help the movement. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.